But I guess I should I should ask a question to the panel. Can you joke about anything? Oh, absolutely. I think you can joke about anything if you're skilled enough, but that's the part people kind of forget. It's hard to be funny. It's much harder. The The more you violate a norm, the further you step outside the lines of social acceptability, the harder it is to make that joke funny. Now, the payoff is there. If you can, if you can drag an audience kicking and screaming into very, very uncomfortable territory and bring them out the other side to laugh, you'll be a legend. If you think about who, is like, who are like the three greatest uh, standouts of all time, we've got Richard Pryor, we have Lenny Bruce, we have George Carlin. All of them were incredibly offensive and edgy at the time, but what they were really skilled at doing is pulling these audiences along with them, which is very hard to do. Give me two seconds to adjust all these squares so I make everything nice and fantastic so all your beautiful faces appear uh, on camera in the right corners. While we're doing that, uh, would you like to introduce yourselves to the world? Uh, and uh, why don't we start with uh, Jangles, Jesse, and then Carr uh, in that order. Please plug all your socials uh, because I know sometimes lefties are a little shy about this kind of stuff, but you shouldn't be. Hi. Hi, everyone. My name is Justin. I have a YouTube channel called Jangles Science Lab, where I go over uh, all the research behind a bunch of scientific topics and comedy. I have three videos on comedy there, uh, you know, because I want to ruin jokes. I hate laughter. I don't want anyone else to laugh at anything. Just like, uh, so, just like all of us lefties do. Yeah, we hate <laughs> laughter. I mean, mm -hmm. I made three videos on it, just and the thesis is always uh, jokes bad. Never laugh again. Laughing is a sin. I'm not supposed <laughs> to do it anymore. And that's, hey, that will be Carson. my contribution to this topic today. Uh, so yeah, follow me on uh, YouTube. You can also follow me uh, at SJW Debates on Twitter because you shouldn't create your username at 3 a.m. while drunk. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than my. It's better than my like Microsoft uh, my Xbox name, which is Doctor Trekkie, since I was like 10, which I guess still fits the brand. But it's like, oh boy, <laughs> I had aspirations to be a doctor that were never achieved. <laughs> Um, anyways, uh, I should introduce myself. I, I'm Jesse Gender. I'm um, also a YouTuber. I run the channel that's also called Jesse Gender. Um, I basically talk about social political issues through geekdoms and fandoms and pop culture. Mainly, I talk about trans and LGBTQ issues, but I also talk about different things as they as they come up and different uh, stuff like that. I also talk a lot about Star Trek. If it's not obvious, I might have a little bit of an obsession. I'm a huge Trekkie. Um, so if any of that sounds appealing, there's all that stuff. I also have a Twitter account that's under the same name. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all the main stuff. Oh. Alrighty. Well, hello everyone. Uh, my name is Carr. Um, I like to talk about, uh, anarchy. I have a YouTube channel and I do have a Twitch channel as well. And I have also went to fight back against, the boomer monstrosity that is Facebook. So I'm there too. You can find me as car, uh, all caps on Facebook or YouTube or car underscore YZ on uh, Twitch and uh, Twitter. And basically I talk about anarchy. I'm a black anarchist. I try to do political commentary from a uh, casual bite-sized uh, black anarchist perspective i like guns whiskey cigars and dogs i also uh, dabble in making electronic music how do you feel about cats i actually love all animals so cats are also pretty based i just you know we got started with one dog and at the time we were saying oh maybe we'll pick up a kitten while this dog's still a puppy and it rapidly escalated to two and fast forward yeah. to the now there are five in my house and so 
uh, cat just would be a difficult transition to make, to say the least. So, kind of sounds like I, the opposite of where I was growing up. I had five cats at my mom's house when I was growing up, and it was uh, I was basically sneezing all day every day. <laughs> oh, well, goodness me! Give me two seconds to adjust my camera. No worries at all. Um, so I guess I can start by saying why I've called you all here. You're all experts in your uh, related fields. And uh, Jesse, uh, we were actually watching your video right before we started. I've also played it on stream before because I thought you did an excellent uh, breakdown of a lot of the issues surrounding the current discourse uh, involving Netflix and uh, everything therein. I guess the first question I should ask everybody is, has everyone here seen the Dave Chappelle special? The latest one. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yes, right. and uh, as with all stand-up specials, uh, the best way to enjoy it is to take notes the entire time. <laughs> really no, that, yeah. Into, uh, yeah. Just sit there stoically like Spock, just like, yes, I'm good. Yeah. Yes. Just stone face it the whole time. I, I, I saw snippets time. of it. I did not watch it in its entirety, unfortunately, but uh, I think I have the gist of it. And I have, admittedly, I've been a big fan of Chappelle uh, throughout his career. Same. So. Yeah, same. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, why don't why don't we start by saying maybe one by one, and we can start in the order of uh, kind of the clockwise that we have here with uh, Jangles, the Jesse, then Carr. Um, why don't you give me uh, your opinions and thoughts on it, and what you're kind of looking to get across in a roundtable discussion about this? So, my thoughts, the overall like thing I want to get out uh, in regards to this special is that comedy is important. And it is stand-up comedy is my favorite art form. It is my favorite mode of uh, entertainment. Uh, just one person standing on a stage conveying information and jokes. Like the fact that that's sitting alongside like uh, all these like movies and TV shows with giant budgets and big casts. The fact that like those two things can sit alongside each other, I think that proves that stand-up is something special and it's worth taking seriously. And every time that something like this happens, like a controversial special comes out or someone tells an off-color joke. Uh, it seems like people really don't want to delve into the uh, complexities that is stand-up comedy. People kind of forget that it's very, very easy to be offensive. It is so easy to be offensive. It is very, very hard to be funny. That's why we have so few people who can make a, a career out of it. It is hard to be funny, and it's worth analyzing why people find jokes funny. Also, the other thing I want to uh, kind of like get across here is that the joke recipient, that is the more interesting analysis. Why do you find a joke funny is way more important than why? what did a comedian intend for a joke to be? Because who cares what a comedian intended? Comedians always intend to be funny, and if that's all that mattered, comedians would never bomb. But we have to, under, uh, we have to look at why audiences would find a joke funny, and that's where it comes into. Uh, so if a, if a incredibly transphobic audience if all the transphobes are finding a joke hilarious and they absolutely love it but very few trans people are finding that same joke funny i don't think it's a good defense to say well it was just a joke and he didn't mean for it to be transphobic i think that's a in that's so wrong as to be incorrect it's hard to be incorrect when we're talking about subjective things like comedy but i think that's an incorrect or at least a very very uh flawed way of analyzing comedy and analyzing jokes and like I said, I wanted to. I want to kill comedy. I hate laughter, and that's why I'm talking about analyzing jokes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I agree with almost all of that. <laughs> uh, I guess jumping to me, uh, I would echo everything that you said. And um, for me, when I looked at the Dave Spell special, what I what I was surprised by is how much of an essay it really is. It's not just a bunch of jokes. It really is. He's making a point with his essay, and I think within that 
discussion that he brings up, he has some actually interesting points that I think are worth discussing about how we often frame white folks and whiteness at the center of different conversations when it involves like trans issues, gay issues, feminism. And I think he makes some great points in that and talks about those issues. But I think what he misses quite often, um, especially when he starts getting into trans issues, is how thing the intersectionality of it to use the oh the boogeyman word that so many uh so, oh god i said intersectional <laughs> um but he he just sort of talks to the gay community as if it's a monolithic white community <laughs> um instead of recognizing that there are black folks in the lgbtq community the lgbtq community has uh you know vice versa um that trans folks are often ourselves marginalized within the lgbtq community regardless of our skin color things like that um and so he constantly frames it in that way and he frames it in a very antagonistic way where it's you know one community versus the other and sort of continually frames it that way and so i feel like there is a larger discussion that's missed as we sort of bring the special into the mainstream where it's like dave's special transphobic dave's dave dave's special transphobic dave's special um not transphobic at all um, and it just gets reduced to those things and i think there's a lot of nuance to discuss where he got things right where he got things wrong but within that, I think there's also an even larger conversation about where he is directing his jokes and using his platform, um, especially when it comes to trans people. Uh, and especially when um, we talk about like how this, as you were saying, Jangles, about how like who finds it funny, who's going to be using it to support their own sort of agendas and discussions um, and to reduce it to, hey, it was just a joke. Um, misses how often these jokes reveal a lot about how people are oppressed or people are joked at. Like a lot of the things that Dave Chappelle said in the joke that were transgender jokes, while new to some people, are things that I hear every single day that are directed at me as hate speech towards trans people. And there's worth in discussing how that sometimes is normalized. And I think Dave Chappelle in some areas does talk about how that is he directs it in a way that is positive and helpful towards trans people. In other ways, he directs it towards ways that support TERFs, which are dogmatic hate group. Um, and then just to wrap this out, because I'm already ranting for too long, is there's another part of the discussion to talk about the reaction to it, not only by people watching the special, but also Netflix, because speaking of the worker walkout today, which I think is even more, um, in some ways, more important than the special itself. So. All right. Well, I uh, both of you made excellent points, and uh, I, you know, I I, I get to. Uh, I am a cis male, so I'm going to put my foot in my mouth probably at least once when discussing <laughs> discussing issues. Of we always do things of that nature. But I I am black. You don't need to adjust your color settings. So I think something that I've even had some trouble sh stressing to people all over both in black community and white community when arguing about this is that yeah he he sort of collectively referred to the entire lgbtq plus community uh, as this white mob that's uh, responsible for anti-blackness and, and i think that glosses over some of the nuance of the fact that for me one of my big focuses for uh, liberation and uh, rights for LGBTQ people is that black trans women are a very oppressed minority in this country. The rates at which they are murdered, murdered in this country is positively horrifying. And so that is something that a comedian 
has the opportunity to call out. That's something that he has a massive platform. He is the highest paid comedian with having specials on Netflix right now. He pretty much has carte blanche to do and say whatever he wants. They've made it very clear to him that he can have another $21 million payout comedy special whenever he wants. It's in his contract. He can go tomorrow and drop another comedy special. And I think normally someone in his position, I would say, would be in a great position to call attention to real issues through comedy because Dave Chappelle, someone had mentioned that it felt more like a video essay. A lot of his uh, last few specials have been in that fashion since see i'm old enough to remember when he got out of show business for a while after his show which was one of the most popular in the country um went off the air and uh i know that he did some soul searching during that time i remember when he got back into stand-up comedy and it was lauded he was uh He'd gotten very fit. <laughs> yeah, he was swole. Yeah. He was huge. Just jacked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely jacked. It was crazy. And he had also gotten a lot calmer. He was not doing so much of his absurdist humor as he had used to do. He was now taking the time to tell you what many would consider odd or uh, seemingly irrelevant stories about things. One of his specials, like I shit you not, he goes on a long monologue about this pimp and about sex workers but by the end of it you realize that he's actually telling you something worthwhile uh all the while teaching you about this book he read about this retired pimp and and about the system of sex workers in low-income communities and it wasn't really what you would call a joke heavy format it wasn't just rapid fire gut buster um punchlines instead he was setting up very long um, dramatic irony sessions through the the storytelling. And I think having done dabbled in stand-up comedy myself, I used to do quite a few open mic nights and I was a writing partner with a friend of mine named Bruce Leonard, who works in Las Vegas now as a comedian full time. Um, They, you really can use that as a calling because comedians have this magical ability to take their problems and make fun of them. And in doing that, they digest these problems for an audience to bring to their attention as well. And when done right, when done right, it's beautiful when you when you see somebody actually use that opportunity. So now that brings us to the content of the actual special that what we run into with Dave Chappelle is we are talking about an individual who I fear leans um socially conservative he is from my native state and where i'm broadcasting from right now ohio and he's from rural ohio he's from yellow springs for anyone who doesn't know anything about yellow springs it is 80 percent farmlands hmm. okay it's outside of a town called xenia which if you're indie film fan like me you might remember a uh, a movie called Gummo from back in the day about a town that was never the same after a tornado swept through it. Uh, yeah, that, that's Xenia, Ohio. That's what was portrayed in that movie. It's a very kooky place. And it, parts of Xenia and where he lives are actually one of the rare um, enclaves of black residents in, in a rural area, whereas normally you see black communities heavily situated around cities, Yellow Springs has a lot of black residents. And so 
we have someone who in his later years is coming to terms with his, frankly, socially conservative attitudes. And I think what's happening is, is that many of the systemic issues that lead to things like transphobia, that lead to things like sexism and institutional racism are coming out with that. And it's honestly, it really is uh, disappointing because, you know, Dave Chappelle is considered such a comics comic. You know, he's beloved by other comedians and considered to be a master of his craft. and and uses that platform to take pot shots and punch down. And that is what he's doing is punching down. I've heard people say, Oh, he says he's not punching down. I'm like, really? I don't hear. He said he punches at everyone. I've never heard him go on a tirade against straight people or cis people or anything along those lines. And, and so, and, and you can be someone who's edgy. You can be someone who's shocking. Uh, Lord knows I'm edgy enough. And I used to tell pretty edgy jokes, but never centered my rhetoric and the difference between someone who's just being edgy to chase controversy versus someone who's being edgy to get their point across is is that it's ultimately who is the target of your jokes. That's why I I think a comparison is, I don't know. I I know at least um, uh, one other person on the panel said they watch a fair amount of comedy. I don't know how much you all watch. Um, It might be controversial, but I stand behind my love of Jim Norton. Very, very edgy comedian. Mm-hmm. If you're not familiar with Jim Norton, very, very crude. Um, and I honestly, I don't, I don't know if this is offensive or not, but I liked what he said. He said everybody calls themselves a trans ally, but they make fun of me for the jokes I make while calling themselves trans allies. He's like, how many of you fuck trans women? All the while calling yourselves trans allies. He's like, I fuck trans women. What is? What's your excuse? And so I, I think you can make what we could agree is a fairly bit of edgy blue humor, but also call attention to things like, you know, shallow allyship and things like that. Performativeness. Yeah, I, yes, think I, 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 sh- I should qualify this, too, because, like, I, I have been a monstrous fan of Chappelle since the, like, you know, Killing Them Softly days. And, you know, I, was, oh, yeah. I used to just gobble up his early specials. And what I thought he was always so brilliant at doing was taking you do- down these long stories like you were describing, Carr. Uh, and then I would never know where they were going. And by the end, I totally forgot that I was watching comedy because I was so engrossed in what he was talking about. And then all of a sudden there was this punchline that would come out of nowhere and it would be so salient and it would like it would really be something that would just like you know transform my thoughts on an idea or something like that I would be like wow that's incredible I'm, I'm blown away and what just kind of broke my heart by the first or second special was that he did that again and it was his first kind of routine about uh, trans people and the punchline at the end was about how a co-worker pulled her dick out and threw it on the table but that was it Ew. right but that that was like that was the punchline and then there was nothing else to it and that's why i felt so disappointed by him because it was like the brilliance of what you used to do is that at the end you would twist the whole thing on its head whereas now it just feels like you're going for this really gross kind of like low tier i i don't know like dad joke right where it, that that's kind of what started me being like what is happening here in the arc of them but i guess i should i should ask a question to the panel can you joke about anything oh absolutely I think you can joke about anything if you're skilled enough, but that's the part people kind of forget. It's hard to be funny. It's much harder. The The more you violate a norm, the further you step outside the lines of social acceptability. 
the harder it is to make that joke funny. Now the payoff is there. If you can if you can drag an audience kicking and screaming into very very uncomfortable territory and bring them out the other side to laugh, you'll be a legend. If you think about who is like who are like the three greatest uh, standouts of all time. We got Richard Pryor, we have Lenny Bruce, we have George Carlin. All of them were incredibly offensive and edgy at the time, but what they were really skilled at doing is pulling these audiences along with them, which is very hard to do. It's very easy to be offensive. Get up on a stage, yell a slur like uh, what's what's his name from Seinfeld? Who did that? Yell yell a slur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you'll you'll offend everybody, and if that's your job as a comedian to offend everybody, easy. It's the easiest thing in the world to do. So you can joke about anything. It's always about like well, who's going to find it funny? How can you make them find that funny? And a lot of lazy offensive humor comes from like the meta commentary, the meta context around where the joke is being told. Like you'll see a lot of like, in my opinion, very lazy standups. So like preempt a joke with, man, this is really going to piss off X group. So uh, I'm going to tell it anyway. So you cannot divorce comedy from the norms in which it is set. All right. Comedy is always placed in a time and place. That's why it doesn't age or travel very well. It has to be like there has to be firm social norms set up. That's also why the setup of a joke is more important than what the punchline is, because that's where you establish the norms that you're then going to violate. And if you establish something as like if the meta joke is this is going to piss off a group of people, it's kind of easy to see how, well, which group of people is this going to piss off? And is that why you're going to find it funny? You'll see a lot of like the Chappelle special defenders saying like, well, I love it when people are offended. That makes the joke even better for me. Or I, I think it's hilarious when a group of people gets offended. That's the, that's the real joke. The actual content of the joke itself doesn't matter so much as the fact that, oh, I can picture this offending somebody. And we on the left do it too. How many of us follow like the coping MAGA account? We love the idea of like some like a MAGA person just getting really, really pissed off and angry over something. But at least oh, we'll yeah. admit it's because we don't mm-hmm. like them. All right, so we're not going to like go back. Oh, no, I love conservatives. I just think it's funny when they get offended. I don't think we're going to do that. So yeah, comedy is always situated in a time and place and context. And it's important to recognize like where the social context, uh, where the social norms are being drawn and what stereotypes are using like, to, ma- to make them. Like You can use stereotypes in your jokes all you want, but when it makes for bad comedy, if you have to agree with the stereotype in order to make it funny because people are going to see where the joke is coming. Uh, and if you're like... That's like the hard part of like if you're not a member of a marginalized community making jokes about them because like you're probably not going to have the knowledge. You're going to be ignorant on a lot of these topics. And so like the setup, the norms that you're uh, making the joke within are going to make sense to an audience that is ignorant, but they're not going to make sense to an uh, audience that is more familiar with these topics, as was the case when he set up like the uh, the J.K. Rowling stuff. If you were familiar with, uh, with what that letter said – I don't you don't have to be like offended or even a trans ally. If you're just if you just know what the letter said, the premise was wrong. That's not what she said. That's not what she meant. So you can't get on board with the joke. And that's beyond even being just offended. Uh, So, yeah, I think it's really interesting to look at the context uh, behind jokes and why people find it funny, like I said earlier. Yeah, I agree with Mm -hmm. everything you said there. And I think like for me, I think. I think anything is open to be made fun of. Like the one of the things that I constantly got is like a comment from a lot of people who are very much against the video that I did on Dave Chappelle was like, "Oh, you just don't want anyone to. How dare anyone make a joke about trans people? You, you, we can't ever make jokes about trans people. I think trans people are funny. I think we're ridiculous and strange and weird and in many different ways. Um, and I think I think even like Dave Chappelle made some 
funny jokes within the actual special that I, I actually laughed at. Like, there's one joke where he said, like, they're after you. And he said, oh, uh, one day or many days. And I actually thought that that was very, very funny. Uh, and it got a chuckle on me as I was watching it. So I think there's, like, funny stuff to be to be had to, like, make fun of trans people or just all that sort of stuff. The question that I ultimately have, and as, as someone was talking about earlier, is, like, what's the, what's the ultimate, uh, you know, thought of the joke what's the ultimate thing you're supposed to take away from the joke um what's the call to action or sort of take away from it and i think sometimes in the special he he actually does do that well when it comes to trans people like there's a great i think he actually does a decent joke where he talks about trans people being in the bathroom and he says like i'd rather have like a a guy uh you know a, a um uh, a trans uh, a trans guy come up with a vagina next to me in the urinal with a vagina rather than like a trans woman uh, with a penis next to me and a meaty penis as he as he said <laughs> so so like that in the ultimate like he said them some things that were not like oh transgender stamp of approval you said it exactly the right way in, in non dehumanizing ways to trans people but the ultimate like part of the joke was to come across like trans people should be able to use the bathroom that they align with. And like, I think that there was jokes and there was humor in there. There was jokes that were relatable to people who don't know trans people. Like if I said that in a trans, like a trans space, I would get, I would get tossed out of the room, but in a room full of cis people who don't have a lot of uh, exposure to trans people, that type of joke is actually very helpful because it relates to how they sometimes speak and think about trans people, but then ultimately gets them to a point where it's like, oh, this is, uh, we should be accepting of trans people. And so I think how you target the joke and what the call to action is, is, is ultimately important. And so what's frustrating about the special is while he does have those brief snippets of moments where I think the jokes are targeted in a way that are uh, ultimately beneficial punching up, even if, you know, the language is not perfect, but it is relatable to people talking about trans issues um, who may not have experience with trans issues. His ultimate goal with the special seems to be to set up an antagonistic relationship where he is the victim and trans people are the victimizers and also to set up the lgbtq community as a whole which he says like trans people are at the head of which again we talk about how trans people are often push out of the lgbtq community by turfs themselves often self-identify as lesbians um or quite often the time uh self-identify lesbians trying to push trans people out of the lgbtq community um he ultimately, he sets up that antagonistic relationship between the LGBTQ community and the black community and the feminist community and just sets them up as like separate entities all fighting each other instead of like how m these are very complex conversations, both within communities, between communities, how we ally with each other, how we work with each other, um, how a lot of our struggles are very similar in many ways and how they're separate in many ways. Um, but he doesn't get any of that nuance. Instead, he just frames himself as the victim um, and sets up this antagonistic relationship. And I think one of the ways he does that rhetorically, which I, you know, I didn't really talk about in my video because it felt very much like my trans friend. Uh, but it was actually one of his most, it was his least uh, logically based argument and probably his worst argument. But his most rhetorically beneficial argument was when he said, I have a trans friend who died because she was bullied by the trans community. And like, even if we take away the actual context of it, because there's a whole lot of discussion we could have about his, uh, the trans comedian who uh, committed suicide, um, a lot of discussion about how that was used. Um, but even if we just take it on its face, it's, it's this way to sort of frame like, oh, look at the trans community just bullied this woman into killing herself. When I could literally say the same exact thing about like my, on my Dave Chappelle video, I had people sending me messages um, that I should go kill myself. Like I should, I should go die. I literally have those messages. I have those, those saved. I could show them to you if I wanted to. Um, and so like, I don't feel like that's an effective argument in terms of like, I could point to any 
insane people on any discussion <clears throat> and, and figure that out. But I think the ultimate goal is like, he sets this up to frame trans people as both ideologically incorrect and trying to attack and harm him and black people just in general, uh, as well as on an individual level, just being able to cause harm and cause a woman to kill herself. Uh, and so I think the ultimate takeaway from his special was very, um, very insightful, not insightful, instigatory against the transgender community specifically. Um, and it was that's and I think that that's the biggest thing to to talk about is like the takeaway from it. The end goal of this essay essentially was an antagonistic one towards the trans community. And that's what I found to be particularly uh, upsetting um, from the special as a whole. Yeah. And to to go back to the orig uh, original question, uh, everyone's made really great points. You asked, can you joke about anything? And I absolutely believe so. I, I there was I. I used to obsess a great deal over stand-up comedy. There was one point probably five years into when Netflix first started doing like streaming proper that I ran out of things to watch because I had watched every comedy special they had on Netflix. And so um, I, I think that, yeah, you can make a joke about anything. I, I want to say some years back at an award, it was Secret Policeman's Ball for Amnesty International, actually. And it was Russell Brand. And I'll be damned if Russell Brand didn't go up and do a bit about human trafficking <laughs> and find a way <laughs> to crack wise about human trafficking, but still get the point across that it's a horrible thing. And, you know, and successfully pull it off where saying, yeah, no, this is something we should absolutely care about. And it's fucking detestable. And uh, you should contribute to organizations that are trying to stop it. Now, I, I don't know if we like Russell Brand or not. Frankly, his, he's just gone too many months unwashed for me to care for him at this point. <laughs> but um, you know, I, I see him going David Carradine route like he's going full hippie. At this he's point. he's gonna he's gonna do in a really big uh anti-vax light arc right oh. now on youtube on, on, oh, a no. s on a subtle side note but i mean your point remains the fact <clears> that he was <throat> capable of finding humor in something that otherwise would be considered absolutely horrifying right like genocide yeah. uh you know human trafficking things like that not fertile grounds for comedy i guess my bigger question would be like at what point does it cross over from being uh, comedy into just hate speech? Like, uh, at what degree can... Like, you can label yourself as a comedian, but just like Jingle said, if you're just going on on an open mic night and then just calling people the N-word, right? Like, uh, are you actually doing comedy at that point? Or are you just trying to use comedy as uh, a veil to mask what uh, you actually want to talk about, but it's just not socially acceptable to do so? I don't think you know, there's I, a line. Oh, go ahead. I'm out of time. I don't go ahead. That's okay. Uh, I don't think there's a line between hate speech and comedy. I think they can encapsulate each other really, really, really easily. I mean, comedy is speech. It's you're conveying information. Now, yeah, the premise of comedy, especially if you're in like a, an environment like a comedy club or in the environment where you're watching a special. Yeah, you're going to like uh, broaden your scope of what is considered acceptable. That's part of like as part of like the uh, agreement we make with comedians. They do get a little bit more leeway to talk about more stuff. But that doesn't mean that you can't endorse hate, like you can't use hate speech in the form of a joke. These are not mutually uh, uh, exclusive. Like if you think about how the alt-right gains a lot of power, a lot of it's through memes. 
a lot of it is like viewing this like that's that's where stone toss shines for lack of a better word he'll introduce all these concepts but it's a joke so you, so hey it's just a joke but what's the what's the premise of the joke what is the punchline of the joke how will you find this joke funny uh, and so, like, you can couch a lot of that. Now, there is a lot, believe it or not, there are more killjoys like me in the world who actually study science, uh, who scientifically study comedy and humor theory. Wonderful group of people, I'm sure. You want them at parties, just like me. Um, <laughs> and you, it's going to shock you when I tell you about this. All right. People who find sexist or racist jokes funny tend to be more permissive of sexism and racism. Uh, that's what we needed science to tell us, but now Mind we have actually interesting. Mind yeah. isn't that incredible? Thank I you, science. Never would have thought that. Never would have thought that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, and and it's not just like uh, in an abstract sense either. Like there have uh, been uh, studies that show, like if you are more permissible of like sexist jokes in the workplace, you're also going to be more resistant to the idea that sexist discrimination exists in your workplace because you see it as permissible. That's what comedy does. That's why it can do good things and bad things. It heighten it broadens what we consider permissible to talk about. Now you can use that for good. You can talk about like the hypocrisies of society. Like Lenny Bruce before the civil rights movement was talked about how hypocritical it was for like uh, self satisfied white liberals to uh <clears throat> like invite black uh, like one black person to their party and that means they're no longer racist he talked about those hypocrisies uh like george carlin had an entire like supreme court decision uh th that came down on one of his sets about like the the seven words you can't say on television this shit can be incredibly important uh, important in good ways but it can also be like well you know People get mad at you if you make transphobic or homophobic jokes like we used to be able to do. So, uh, hey, everybody, we're going to do it again. It's going to piss them off. And isn't that hilarious? And who and what is the audience for that joke? What is the what is the intended message behind it? So, yeah, you can absolutely like that's the, the double edged sword of comedy. You can use that extra permissibility for what you talk about to like push forward causes to put for, uh, push forward really, really awesome messages. Uh, like uh, uh, Jesse brought this up. There was like a transphobic defense of, of trans people being able to use the bathroom. That was like a transphobic defense. I thought that was a really good joke because mm -hmm. it was couched in, hey, if you don't, if you're not on board with trans people, here's a reason why you might like it. It was really similar to a few years ago. It was like, hey, a lot of you don't like the idea of gay people having sex, right? That grosses you out. Well, if you don't want two people to have sex, marry them they'll never have sex again <laughs> like yeah it's an old joke now but that was a that was a decent like homophobic argument for gay marriage and that's where comedians can use a lot of that ignorance of the audience to their advantage to push awesome uh, messages but it's very easy to fall back into well if it offends people and i don't really think those people are all that you know they don't really deserve what they have anyway you can fall back on those territories and absolutely should be called out like any other form of speech yeah, I, I I think you you kind of said a lot of the stuff that I was going to say. I just would reiterate like the point about like I think it really just comes down to where the joke is ultimately being being targeted. What's actually being said? I think there's a lot of value, honestly, in having folks use the rhetoric or at least the 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 veneer or the aesthetic of sometimes more overt transphobia or uh, even more, probably more casual transphobia, relatable transphobia to um, a casual everyday audience like that hasn't been exposed to trans people. Use that language, that aesthetic, in order to bring them along to a point where they will become more accepting of trans people or at least understand the issue in a way that is comprehensible to them. Like I, I keep going back to the bathroom because I actually think it was very good. It's like he, he, you know, he talks about a trans woman having a meaty penis and like, a, you know, big hands or whatever. And it's like, that's very dehumanizing language about trans people that is often used in 
very just transphobic spaces and language, but it's also somewhat normalized in discourse around trans people in, in just like rural areas, conservative areas that don't have a lot of exposure to trans people, even people who are, I think like often we, we tend to forget how often transphobia is somewhat normalized in spaces even where people wish to be accepting of trans people is like yeah I, I you know i like trans people or trans people are fine do whatever but you know i don't understand there's like people with like whatever like big hands or they're chicks with dicks that sort of stuff and so to use that language that is sort of like what we would consider in like you know our privileged little leftist bubbles to be um you know transphobic we could use that language in order to try and push people in the direction that we want to. Because, you know, coming across as someone like, you can't say this, you can't say this, you can't say this, um, is what many people use against the trans community. It's like, oh, you're policing my language, you're policing this stuff. And a lot of trans people aren't doing that um, necessarily. But to have someone like Dave Chappelle outside of that sort of paradigm. Like even me, I try to come across as someone who's like, hey, I'm here to be welcoming, not going to judge anyone, but just by the mere fact that I'm a trans woman will automatically put people at an antagonistic odds with me when they come into a video or discussion that I'm having, even if I'm trying my best to sort of try and bring everyone in, like just my identity is automatically going to frame it antagonistically. So having someone like Dave Chappelle come in and be like, hey, I'll use this language that's relating, relatable to you to then bring you along to here, I think is very, very helpful. Um, I just think at the end of the day, he did not do that um, at, in terms of his entire thesis of his, uh, to use that term, like, I, th I do think it's just an essay with a, with a thesis, and his ultimate thesis is the trans community is not open to jokes, and they are pushing down black people, um, and yeah, we should accept them, but, like, they, they're the ones that have kind of overblown this. That's, like, his ultimate thesis, and it's, like, that's set in setting up in a very antagonistic way, and so I think that ultimately... He did not use that relatability in a way that was punching up, but as you said, punching down. So, mm -hmm. yeah, and I agree wholeheartedly. And I, I would say <laughs> you all need to you stop know, you... agreeing. You're not giving me the spice I need for this panel. Come on, start throwing well, 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 throwing barbs. Everything you're about to say is wrong. <laughs> yeah. Every single person follows the person afterwards. Like I agree with every salient point you just made. You you were articulate and perfect in your delivery. Thank you so much. All right, yep. <laughs> give it enough time. I'll, I'll start race baiting here soon. And then we'll, uh, Good. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll start uh, getting our knives out. So I think, you know, thinking about can uh, can there be bigotry or reactionary language within comedy? Yeah, they can be within each other. I mean, as, as Jangle said, comedy is just using language or settings. Stand-up comedy is using language to make people laugh, to create humor. So if that language includes bigotry or reactionary rhetoric, then yeah, it can be comedy. Can it be used for good? Sure, sure, it can be used for good. I mean, on the one hand, there's obvious examples like it's when we talk about some of your right winger types, like um, the uh, you talk about like your prepper and your militia types, these big chunky dudes wearing plate carriers and AR-15s, and we call them the uh, the gravy seals, for instance. You know, <laughs> we're 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 delving into a little bit of uh, body shaming to poke fun at some people who are absolutely ridiculous. What you can do, and it's, it's great that. Um, Lenny Bruce was brought up a big favorite of mine, which kind of destroys the whole cancel culture idea. When in the fifties, we had a comedian who was getting arrested for telling jokes, literally yeah. getting pulled off stage by cops. Um, 
uh, and now we consider canceling getting paid $21 million. (laughs) I've been canceled again. (laughs) I I say it on Twitter all the time. Please, (laughs) please cancel me. Oh my God, please cancel me. I could use the subscriber bump. Jesus Christ. Please. <laughs> Every, everyone watching, go cancel car. Go go subscribe please. to his YouTube. Go, that's go, that's go. what cancel culture is. Yeah. Car, you're canceled. Yeah. You're canceled. Yeah, I, I need to be canceled so hard. Um, I think ultimately where it lies is what is the takeaway from the joke? So to just go off of examples, you know, using someone like Jim Norton, for example, he uses edgy humor. He says some, let's say dated, uses some, let's say dated terminology sometimes in his standup. But at the end of the day, the message remains is that Jim Norton loves women of all shapes and sizes and loves describing their anatomy in detail. And it just so happens he also likes women who don't happen to be cis or maybe weren't assigned female at birth. Uh, that's what the takeaway is from his jokes about sleeping with trans women and things like that. That's really all it boils down to if you watch any of his specials. Whereas you look at someone like Dave Chappelle, what is the end message that you're supposed to take from that? And what I'm seeing that we're supposed to take from that is, well, hey, uh, it's okay to be a turf. I'm a turf. Yikes. Um, <laughs> And it's okay to make jokes that are known to be very hurtful towards people in the trans community. They should be normal, and they're the problem. You see, a lot of the argument I get, sadly, from my own black community is that, oh, people keep saying, speaks truth to power, speaks truth to power. I'm like, power? Speaking truth to power, what is the monolithic, all-powerful hierarchy system to be brought down a peg consisting of trans people who just want to live, who in the very country where I sit can still get dehoused or fired or just straight up murdered for existing. Like what, what are you trying to take back from them? What power are you trying to claw back from them? What truth to power are you speaking? You're fucking multimillionaire. You are the power <laughs> motherfucker. Like, <laughs> I might be able to interject there, though, just for one quick sec, because there is what I thought maybe one of the goals of this special and one of the things that like I do agree and talked a lot about is uh, that and Dave Chappelle even words it this way. Can white gay people be racist? And of course, the answer is yes. Oh, absolutely. One hundred percent. No question. Right. And. Like, that is often something that's not spoken about a lot, right, is that, you know, within these hierarchies and structures of power, uh, cis, white, gay men usually uh, have a lot of uh, privilege that is not acknowledged because they're already marginalized as a member of being part of the LGBTQ community, right? And so Dave Chappelle was trying to bring light to, to that aspect. I think you could have done that without doing it at the expense of the trans community, right? Like, you can still make that point and, and make it, you know, be something profound without having to do it at yeah. the expense of all these transphobic jokes kind of idea. And Absolutely, it, it, yeah. He didn't have to pillory the trans community to call out very real racism among cis white gay men. I I talk shit on cis white gay or cis white men all the time. That's like 50% <laughs> of my praxis. Every day I wake up and say, hey, how am I going to make white people uncomfortable? <laughs> You can do that all day, every day. Trust me, it's, it's okay. The car is saying it here, okay, October 20th, 2021. It's okay to make people, white people very uncomfortable. Do it. <laughs> do it every day. But you 
begin to go into the territory of kicking down, whereas your framing element is 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 picking on a group of people who, which in his own community, uh, like black LGBTQ people, are struggling for mm-hmm. liberation, struggling for representation, and are victims of violence and are victims of discrimination and are victims of oppression, kind of glossing over all of that to strictly portray the entire LGBTQ community as bad gay white dudes and pearl-clutching trans people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said entirely, and I'd like to uh, just affirm everything you said was great. Damn it, Lance. We talked about this. (laughs) Well, I wish to cancel you and say, you know, um, what... Uh, just one thing that I want to just mention before I forget it, because I think it's pertinent to some of the things you said, Carr, uh, just talking about this, like, framing of uh, whiteness and white supremacy within our discussions of, like, LGBTQ issues. It, it's he does a really good I think that's actually a really salient point. I think he makes really great points about how we often center white folks um, within any of these discussions about LGBTQ issues. But it's it's frustrating that he doesn't apply that when it comes to talking about trans issues specifically because he brings up at one point and especially brings up sojourner truth and even uh explicitly mentions her uh essay ain't i a woman which was her essay basically pointing out because she was a black woman that she was not seen as a woman she was not seen as much of a woman in feminist spaces when she was going into feminist spaces to try to speak so that she was excluded from it and because her womanhood was denied um and then he doesn't seem to make that same understanding when he talks about who are the same type of white supremacist um, feminists that only think of feminism as it applies to upper class white women um, and doesn't realize that that same dehumanizing of someone's womanhood, someone's gender identity is the same thing that TERFs are doing to trans people. Um, And again, there's a lot of like different um, things that we can discuss within like the intersection of like LGBTQ issues and black issues and how there's different histories and things like that, quite obviously. Um, but I think that there's just interesting intersections and interesting parallels that he just completely misses despite actively citing them within the, the, his, his special that I, I was just super frustrated about. And, um, yeah, I think that that's just something I think that is worth saying because that's what turfs are. Turfs are, um, feminists who only center feminism around upper class white women. And then when they look at, uh, you know, other, uh, any other identities like black folks, they see it as like, oh, charity. That was like, yeah. I mean, you look at something like J.K. Super Rowling. paternalistic. And it's it's mm-hmm. actually gross how much, uh, how how similar white feminism is to the turf movement. It's, it's shockingly, they're basically mm-hmm. cousins, if not sisters, like white, feminism basically birthed the the offshoot turf movement and you see that weirdly paternalistic setting to the point where you know i interact with a lot of uh you know pro afrocentric people pro uh women empowerment people in the black community it's so bad to the point where a lot of black queer women a lot of black trans women are saying i'm abandoning the term feminist i'm a what have you, a secular womanist or things along those lines, because as soon as they attempt to break into the feminist spaces at large, not saying all feminist spaces, but your 
large monolithic feminist spaces, they encounter the same same Karen bullshit that we've always seen there. Now, back back in the day, we didn't call them Karens. We called them Miss Anne, um, which is a perfect encapsulation. Miss Anne was the slave owner's wife, you see. She smiled and wore pretty frilly dresses, but you knew deep down she was just as monstrous behind those pearly whites as her, you know, rapist human-owning husband. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, like, you can see a clear delineation of, like, the paternalistic white supremacy of TERFs. Like, look at, I, I mean, I'm I'm a nerd, so I'm going to use a pop culture example, but just look at J.K. Rowling, who we we know she uses TERF. Oh, and you look <laughs> And you look in her own work and how there's this whole idea of the house elves in her work that are, you know, they, do, they want to be slaves. They want to be, they like that. And we need to teach them. Hermione needs to come in and teach them oh, that, God, they, that they can't. Yeah, that they 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 should learn to to want to accept and and, and struggle and, and have Isn't freedom. Isn't there a lot of anti-Semitism they, too? Isn't that yeah, like a, a, a character? But they, yeah, there's anti-Semitism in there as well with the uh, with the um, the banking uh, goblins. The right, goblins. That's it. Oh, and she makes what's even worse is in Fantastic Beasts. She makes in their Fantastic Beasts movie. She makes the delineation between house elves and black people explicit because there is a jazz singing like um like house elf that is like stylized to look like a, a black person in those movies so it's very clear like house elves are meant to be black people and how great we are for teaching them quote unquote uh that they could take off their chains and 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 fight against the you know fight against the you know oppression we have to teach them that and so that's just that white feminist idea that jk rowling is just inherent in her work it's actually yeah. shocking how closely Hermione was written like a white feminist. Now that you think about it, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. fucking, like uh, goddamn know it all, and then showing up with uh, with uh, fucking button pins for her little uh, fucking astroturfed house health movement. It's it's crazy. Um, but yeah, what were you going to say, Jangles? I saw you. I saw you pipe in, but it's my <laughs> job to shout down white men at least once a day. <laughs> that's fair. I mean, that's that's what we're here for. Uh, I do think like. What is a little bit, it's like a missed opportunity. This, the Chappelle special might have been like a lot of people's first introduction into intersectionality because there were a lot of good salient points. One was about like uh, how he was about to get in a, in a fight with this like uh, big corn fed white gay guy. And as soon as they were about to fight, he called the cops and he said, like, oh, a black uh, gay guy would never call the cops on me because, you know, they share that intersectional identity. And that would have been awesome if like, but then he like, a lot of the tone of the show is like reinforcing like the hierarchies within marginalized groups. Like it's an intersectionality that emphasizes like where, you know, a hierarchy of like, uh, you know, gay people here, black people here, who's more oppressed, who has a, a greater, uh, who has a more authentic struggle, who has more of a say in like to be able to complain about their own situation in life. And that's like the bad kind of uh, intersectionality where like all the marginalized communities are competing with each other to see as like which stacking one stacking your privilege, the, the oppression stacking Kind of which one is the style? one that deserves yeah. yeah which who deserves to be treated like a human the most as opposed mm-hmm. like it's a zero-sum game like if we let one group get rights like we can't also like let another group get rights it's like a poor introduction to it and like there was a good point in there somewhere but there, uh where i've you know I've, I've emphasized like the uh the listeners the joke listeners perspective more so than the comedians is there a reasonable uh, chance that a lot of people are going to walk away with that thinking that like, that, like marginalized communities are in, in conflict with one another like are black and uh, queer people in conflict with one another as to who deserves rights more as opposed to like well maybe there's some like overarching power structure that uh, you know 
uh, screws over everybody that maybe that's you know we a rising tide will lift all boats and we can't be intersectional in our approach to these issues and i'm just worried that like that's going to be a takeaway that a lot of people get like he even says explicitly at one point like that he's uh, jealous of the progress that gay people have made over black people and there's something to that there's like a raw authenticity to that that we can talk about but it almost feels like a lot of people could walk away thinking like well that means that they're in conflict with one another the gay mm -hmm. rights and, and uh you know black rights are in conflict with one another and so like it's a it was a swing and a miss it was a good it was a good attempt but i think a lot of people were going to miss a lot of the nuances of that conversation in favor of uh you know them them queers just complain too much right. and it's even, and we've even seen it in like the fallout of the special too i mean you know me being self-aware like we're on a panel right now where there's uh, you know i'm the only trans person i'm a white trans person um the the main trans people that have been platformed in terms of discussing the Chappelle special and face a lot of fallout from the Chappelle special have been trans uh, mostly trans white women working at uh at netflix um, and how that discussion has sort of centered white trans people is as well. Um, you could even talk about the fact that the the main trans woman that was um, you know framed in this discussion was one of the showrunners of uh, Dear White People, and how a lot of that conversation then started falling out about like, oh, why was there a white showrunner on a show called Dear White People? Um, and you know her discussion about being like, I was one of the only white showrunners. Oh. I was like, did the whole computer just crash, or is it just hey. me? Yeah. Oh, and so sorry. Was, Every, everything just, just crashed. Well, oh, oh, what no. do you do, Lance? It wasn't me! Oh, no. oh you fucked it up. <laughs> I fucked it up. Um, but yeah, I just think right, like that, that that's... Um, I think that that's just one of the... An important thing to, to know and to be self-aware of um, as we're talking about this issue is like... Like, like, he's not wrong in that sort of awareness of, like, how we center whiteness in conversations about the LGBTQ and trans community, um, both intentionally and sometimes unintentionally, um, because, you know, there's, like, a lot of black trans women don't have access to the same platform that, like, someone like myself does or someone like the um, woman who was working on Dear White People uh, does. Um, and so that's, that's where we sort of grab from. So there's that systemic issue as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's just something to be self-aware of ourselves as we talk about this issue. Yeah. You know, I, I agree uh, wholeheartedly. I think now I've, I've been a known proponent of generally what you see happening in the black community. I've been a proponent of looking at systemic factors that have led to some of the internal issues in the black community. Cause you know, we do have our own issues with uh, queer phobia and transphobia in the black community due to long centuries old, his uh, historical factors, the black community skews very heavily uh, Christian and socially conservative. They don't tend to skew uh, fiscally or politically as conservative as the majority of white Christians, but the, uh, largest percentage of Americans that go to church is the black community. You know, they, a massive percentage of the black community are regular and habitual church goers. And so what you have now within the black community as well is this issue where we don't, we don't want to take away from our struggle for restorative justice and black liberation. And there are people out there who will pit them against, uh, against one another. I've heard it from televangelist preachers and conservative politicians. I've had some people say directly to me 
at events and protests and things like that saying, oh, well, you know, I've heard other black leaders tell me that uh, their sin is not my sin and other shit like that. And I think that someone who, and, and I'll be clear, I don't think Dave Chappelle's stupid. I think he's fairly intelligent to be as excellent of a wordsmith and comedian as he is. Clearly, he knows something. So for someone like that to take that platform and ultimately come away from his performance, potentially making that divide or making it an us versus them, when in fact, you know, black queer people are here, they they are part of the community and they're a part of the community that just like the greater community is is struggling to reach parity with the white community due to white supremacy and things of that nature. So I think the bigger issue we run into is that unfortunately, because of the representation that Jesse mentioned and the, the disparity in representation that Jesse mentioned and how often it is white voices that come up in front of the cameras and the microphones, not always, but often, um, our only spokespeople within the black community tend to be celebrities and they tend to be think people like athletes. They tend to be rappers, performers, musicians, um, basically anybody in the, who already has the massive platform in the public eye that can include comedians. Whereas it's harder for someone whose pure focus and pure identity is activist or advocate for them to get in front of that microphone in the same way. This was a a huge struggle, which I think we've taken some steps backwards in, because if you look at things like the Harlem Renaissance, well, this was a time when poets and artists and painters and singers singing from their hearts and their souls were the ones who were taking the public eye in large portions of the country, right? And that was, I think, was a time where a lot more progressive rhetoric bridging the divide between the communities could actually get out there. And I think now what we could see is if we have people like Dave Chappelle who would be willing to have a more nuanced and honest conversation about these topics, we could make some legitimate progress as opposed to normalizing the language of violence. That's my thought anyway. I I wanted to put it out there because you're talking about how he was receiving some criticism from this. We haven't brought up the fact that like, a lot of celebrities, and this is not just comedians, but they will get what I think sometimes is just fair call-outs, right? Like, it's it's just people criticizing something that I, I don't think is beyond the pale. Like, we're just calling someone out for what they've done. And they try to turn that into, like, censored or a backlash or this is uh, the cancel culture big thing, right? Which was a huge part yeah. of this because Chappelle went from that uh, first or second special to suddenly this final one where he he's talking about how he got so much backlash from the trans community that he actually fears them. And he actually talks about how he was afraid of them at like shows and stuff like that. So like at, at what point is there also this element where celebrities are unable to accept valid criticisms as critiques and they run with it as I'm trying to be canceled instead. Well, I'll go. So the, um, I think part of it is due to new media. So you go back to the era of George Carlin, Richard Pryor, Paul Mooney, Lenny Bruce, or, um, Red Fox, even who's a old favorite of mine for the comedy fans. Red Fox was just, was just genius. Um, Back then, 
if you were too controversial, the outside of the theater, in the theater, the worst thing you had to worry about was hecklers. And any comedian worth his salt knows how to deal with a heckler. Honestly, there's great compilations online of certain comedians just destroying hecklers. For any fans of comedy out there, please look up Bill Burr just destroying Philadelphia for like 40 minutes straight. It is it is modern art. <laughs> um, but you outside of hecklers, once you walked out of the uh, theater and you got in your car and went home, that was pretty much it. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? There's going to be a newspaper headline, <laughs> maybe, mm-hmm. about your, your body uh, insensitive jokes. Is there going to be maybe a radio personality will talk about it? You might make the evening news. Probably won't, though. Now, however, you have the internet that has given everyone a voice because, yeah, algorithmic waiting aside, literally anyone can create a Twitter account, right? Literally anyone can create a Twitter account. Fuck, they let me on there. And that should tell you right there that there's an issue, right? So, and you get enough of those literally anyone's together who share that common interest and that common interest might be trans rights. They now have enough of a following where they can level that criticism and say, hey, what you're doing is offensive and it is language of violence. You know, this is a criticism. And they, I don't think, comedy is brilliant and it's awesome. But I will say people like Dave Chappelle and his ilk are very much uh, stuck in a very old, old style of stand-up comedy. Think of it, think about it as an art form. Really think about it. How many people are changing stand-up comedy in its format since fucking vaudeville? There, It's still a dick standing on a stage, sitting on a stool. That's literally all it's been for probably 200 years. You And when you have somebody who really shakes up the paradigm, like, for instance, Bo Burnham, mm-hmm. who dares to incorporate different media, that's still considered rare in the field. There's Bo Burnham. There's the guy who, who hosted Cash Cab. His name escapes me. Uh, someone can help me with that. He, he does PowerPoint slides during his stand-up sets, and he doesn't carry a mic. He wears a, an earpiece and headset, but... For the most part, aside from maybe talking about Carrot Top with his props, most people don't break this century-old paradigm of just some guy up on stage telling jokes. So you have to think, what does that old, old philosophy of what comedy is bring to their performance, bring to their philosophy about what their performance should be and what the response to their performance should be? Honestly, it's... Most of their technological innovations began and ended with being hosted on streaming services like Netflix. Some of them went off and started podcasts on the side and found lucrative careers doing that. But outside of it, I think they are locked in uh, uh, in a very, very old format. And being locked in that old format has also locked them in very dated, very old mindsets, saying, I tell the jokes and you just deal with it. And that's all there is to it. Someone in my chat mentioned Reggie Watts, by the way. Reggie Watts is a fucking Oh, great guy. example. Great Jesus, example. yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Using yeah. a fucking delay pedal yeah. and a keyboard and a mic. Speaking multiple languages. <laughs> yes. Speaking, yeah. Just launching into a German body erotic poem yeah. on stage. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, no, Reggie Watts, uh, Eric Andre. I'm not a huge fan of Eric Andre, but that's because I met him in person, and that's that's an anecdote for later, perhaps. Um, I grabbed his breast. <laughs> you met Eric Andre? I didn't meet him. He was crowd surfing in his live show and he came up right underneath me. And as he was coming up, but I was supposed to hold him up, I ripped his shirt open. So I had to put my hands on his breast. So that's my claim to fame with Eric Andre. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, you I, have I, no greatness. I, I used to work in event security. So I worked at this podunk little festival in Indio, Palm Springs, California called Coachella. You've probably never heard of it. Mm-hmm. And um, I was standing at the gate with my back turned and I feel something tap my shoulder and I turn around just to hear somebody say, speaking to the microphone and it's Eric Andre holding a uh, large marital aid, probably 12 <laughs> inches long, right in my face with, marital uh, aid. <laughs> with synthetic um, semen dripping out of it onto my uniform, by the way. And uh, I, I think his friend had a steady camp behind him and um so, you know, Eric, Andre, you, you are pretty brilliant, but I'm probably going to smack you if I see you again. <laughs> Fair dues. Anyway, but my point is they're locked in a very old mindset of what comedy is supposed to be. And so few of them are even willing to innovate or do anything interesting with it. And that doesn't mean they're bad comedians. You know, there's plenty of comedians who do fairly standard comedy. People like Hannibal Burress um, do very amazing comedy and they still uh use of that old format but i think so many of them are because they're seeing success in doing it they have no reason to change how they think about the subject matter that they are riffing on as well yeah there's a lot of truth to that so um there's a so yeah he he, 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 uh touched on like a lot of the reasons like the history of stand-up comedy very first stand-up comic was artemis ward in here in the united states and it was born out of like the lecture format what would have been like I like modern day TED talks is what the closest comparison. Like it was people up on stage giving lectures and there've been only really two major technological innovations since the outset, since the beginning of stand-up comedy. One was the microphone. Uh, that's why I have this microphone. This is the sure SM 58. This is the stand-up comedy microphone. That's why I got it. Cause I love stand-up. Uh, <laughs> and the only other major, uh, technological innovation of stand-up has been like streaming and the internet it, it, uh, and all that does is like change your audience and how do you interact with them and even then that's just in certain cases oh and alcohol like putting in alcohol but that's been there since the beginning but yeah it is a very very old uh, art form and i think two drink of that two drink minimums like you gotta oh, have those Jesus for stand-up Christ. don't remind yeah. me of working clubs oh, <laughs> uh, but i think that also lends to stand-up its greatest strength I've, I've said it before like it's stand-up comedy just a person on a stage talking to a microphone is dave Chappelle got like more money than squid game to make that special and you think of like this set design and all the characters and all the people who need to be paid as part of squid game all of that costs less money than just dave Chappelle on a stage you know if we take uh, put aside dave Chappelle and his special for a second isn't that kind of awesome like th- this art form can survive uh to this oh, much it, and the reason we go to stand up yeah the reason that we go to stand up when there are all these like more expensive and more intricate forms of comedy out there is because stand up is where you go for intimacy and authenticity you see that person up there as a person they're talking to you in the first person i i think this have uh and they're talking to you the audience in the second person uh have you ever seen this uh, what do y'all think about this stuff like that so there's like that intimate connection that you have between them and because of that unlike a um 
like a movie where there are actors saying lines that have been rehearsed. It's a lot more personal when your stand-up set is being uh, attacked because even though we all know it's a performance, we all kind of feel like it isn't. We feel like this is a real person saying their genuine stream of consciousness up on stage. It doesn't matter if it's been rehearsed a lot. It's still like a rehearsed version of authenticity that we all relate to. So I think a lot of stand-ups will take it a lot more personally when you attack their uh, when you attack their material because you're not just attacking their material. What is like a big defense of Dave Chappelle special, like in regards to his material? Dave Chappelle isn't transphobic. Well, hold on. We're attacking the special. That's not a performance. If you attack the performance, you're almost attacking the person. And that's where a lot of people will go to because that's the nature of stand-up comedy. And I think that uh, that has a lot to do with it because like the criticism of the art is also the criticism of the person because the person is the art in this case. And uh yeah, and that's the charitable take. The uncharitable take is that controversy drives ratings. How many of like it does? It is especially yeah. for a stand-up comic, like being offensive. If you bill yourself as offensive or irreverent, but you know what is what doesn't have the irreverent tag on Netflix? I don't know if that sets you apart, but there's a certain part of the population who the more offensive you are or if that's like the main thing about your special it's offensive and first and funny second there's a big market for that but we're not going to pretend it isn't yeah i mean like just this this whole conversation that we're ha- like we're talking about the special right now we're having the conversation people are going to go watch the special the special is being promoted and it was still like number one outside of like squid games for for weeks she's um, trended in the top 10 i think every day on twitter since the special came out because of the controversy Exactly. So it's like it's it, the controversy works. So leaning into it and saying this is what canceled is 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 what gets you attention, what gets you money. I mean, it's just it's just another it's just another way to like move your career to the next steps. Like, oh, I've been canceled now, so then I push into I mean, you know, into whatever the next phase is, whether it's doubling down on more you know right wing conservative rhetoric or whatever else. Um, but uh, th- that just it's part of it at this point. And I also think like that the parasocial relationship that you've both been talking about is like part of why these these like why stand up can be so potent and why it's so important to ensure like where your your end thought and where you're targeting your uh, discussion is so important. I mean, we even saw uh, there was a there was a, a study that I saw, I think, yesterday that came up that was somewhat separate. But I think it brings up this interesting point where people are more likely to fight against uh, anti like taxing the rich policies uh, if they have a billionaire that they invest in and support. So a lot of people are in the cult of Elon Musk are very much more likely to support like not support taxing the rich because they're like, well, how can we harm poor Elon? Oh, oh, my my darling, dearest Elon. Um, And so the same thing kind of the same idea applies here. It's like, oh, Dave Chappelle's not transphobic. He didn't come into this with the intention of like hating on trans people. Um, And so any discussion of him like being doing harm to the trans community or or anything that he says that's harmful to the trans community is uh, automatically dismissed because like, oh, that's not that's not what he that's not what he's intending to do. And I care about Dave Chappelle because I followed his career for years. I care about him as a person in that sort of parasocial relationship way. Um, And and it's it's. It's frustrating. And that's why I often try to, when I discuss these things as best I can, try to frame it as like, look, I'm not here to call a person transphobic. Like, I even try to do this with J.K. Rowling, even though I couldn't, you know, say J.K. Rowling is obviously transphobic. I think it is more helpful when you're talking to people who are 
in this space of like, oh, I understand J.K. Rowling or I understand Dave Chappelle and I invest in them. I have this parasocial relation to them. It's basically talk about how actions are transphobic. This person's actions, what they did was transphobic. And I'm not putting that as an inherent value on them in terms of like judging them as a person, but it's like we needed to judge the effects of these actions that they had. And so I think that's an interesting tactic within that. But I also just think it points to the fact that how how important it is to discuss that parasocial relationship that's within these, that's inherent within a comedy special. Well, I guess that brings us to what I think is probably the most controversial question surrounding all this. Should Netflix remove the special and, or should Netflix remove any comedy special if it pushes a certain boundary? Um, well, here's what I would say. I, I think that, uh, I don't know. I, I think maybe I'm controversial in saying I don't think they should remove it. Um, I, at the end of the day, this is what Dave Chappelle put out there and they chose to do it. Removing it doesn't undo the fact that they published this work. If that's ever going to be a decision, then that needs to happen um, before it gets released. But I do lean fairly anti-censorship and free expression and sometimes that means that that freedom of expression while i don't want it to extends to bigoted individuals and i do i believe we shouldn't be tolerant of intolerance however what we can do and what i what netflix should do i think is um <laughs> actually acknowledge actually acknowledge some of the criticism that people are having uh, of the special. I would go so far to suggest that other streaming services have far more queerphobic content on their platforms than Chappelle's special. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that there are streaming platforms hosting South Park. There are streaming platforms hosting Family Guy. Okay, there are streaming platforms hosting other comedians who people like Nick DiPaolo, who are far more mask off, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I, fuck, they're streaming platforms hosting Steven Crowder. Okay, <laughs> so I don't think uh, removing it, especially now, solves the issue. They've made just obscene amounts of cash over it, so it wouldn't really matter if they removed it. I would. One could argue that maybe the goal in removing it is to take some violent or hateful speech off of the internet. I I don't think anything that he said would necessarily even run afoul of, say, YouTube terms of service, Lance. You you mm -hmm. you keep running afoul of YouTube terms of service. <laughs> you could tell me of whether or not they would even take action on it if it was a YouTube special. It I all depends on would. how many subscribers he has, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, you, you <laughs> motherfuckers get away with a lot, you bigger channels. Like look, they I've they, I, they, I've they, had my channel shut down when I've had nothing but four thousand subs and I've had it shut down when I had forty thousand subs both both times. <laughs> and and both times it was from mass flagging. It was not because I think my content was too spicy. It was because thousands of alt-right assholes and chuds decided, hey, we can take them down by all hitting mass flag on the same thing for the same reasons. And that works. But yeah, to, to your point, uh, I, I, I wouldn't mind hearing what the other two panelists have to say. Do you, yeah, do you yeah, think yeah. it should be taken down? 
I mean, for for my money, I I I kind of agree with Carl. I don't think it's it's worth taking it. I think it would be detrimental at this point to to take it down because then it would go and feed into that record of always being canceled, and it would just sort of, and it would also hide the actual talking points and remove the nuance and uh, ultimately just bring it back to that like culture war conversation of oh he you know Dave Chappelle good Dave Chappelle bad. So I don't think it's it's ultimately helpful to remove it at this point uh, i mean what i would love to see would be to see like the it placed in context so whether that means there's like a a piece before it or you uh, that says like turfs are you know or they promote like afterwards the algorithm promotes like you know you watch the special here's a special by a trans comedian who has other things to say um like just some way to situate the special within a conversation instead of it just being a single piece of media that you push out there because i do think that there is like all the stuff that whenever stuff like this happens especially when it comes in these like more nuanced discussions i think there is value in having it and value in saying like where things were right where things were wrong and i think as car was saying there's much more hateful stuff that's out there about the trans community and seeing like as much as i have major issues with dave Chappelle's special i think that there is value in in something this messy being out there because it allows us to sort of dig into the heart of the nuance. And I think ultimately removing it just just would sort of erase that ability to have that nuance conversation and just make it the culture war conversation that's already leaned into quite heavily. Um, the, the frustrating thing for me more is that I don't think that I think what's going to be taken away from this is at least from Netflix is the, the wrong lessons because it has made a bunch of money. And despite the controversy, despite there literally being Netflix workers walking out today um, and all this stuff, the lesson they're going to learn is like, Oh, this, this transphobic content, this content that has transphobic messages in it um, is what gets the click, what gets people to come onto the platform. And so investing in that type of content would be like, Oh, let's do this more incendiary content instead of being like, what I think they should do is like, let's find trans comedians. Let's find black trans women comedians and, give them specials i mean obviously they're not going to do the level of dave Chappelle at this point but give them a place to start because dave Chappelle wasn't doing dave Chappelle levels of stuff right at the beginning um you know he be, you have to build that and i think like putting it in that direction but ultimately what we see netflix do is fire trans people who spoke out about it and even if you look at if you look at jacelyn moore who was the woman who was the um the uh the dear white uh, pe- uh dear white people uh showrunner who spoke out against the special and quit netflix because of the special her whole point wasn't even to remove the special either she literally said if you listen to her interviews like she's not saying cancel dave Chappelle's special she said pretty much very similar to what we've all been saying here too um and their response is to like fire more trans people instead of like actually going into that nuanced conversation and so that's what I would like. I would like there to be a place to situate this conversation in a nuanced way, place it in a context within the special on the platform, give more trans people both behind the scenes and in front of the scenes a chance to sort of um, have a place within their platform. But I ultimately feel like the lessons that are going to be learned are the opposite. Let's do more incendiary content. Let's fire trans people. Let's uh, try and distance ourselves from the ramifications of our work with the CEO saying like, oh, these types of works don't actually have demonstrable effects in the world, which is nonsense. Um, so I, I think that that's, that's what ultimately frustrates me. But I think at the end of the day, no, don't remove the special. So, Lance, you're going to hate me. I'm in agreement mm-hmm. with those two. <laughs> Is there anything so, you all disagree on? <laughs> oh, 
so, oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a bad. So I don't think uh, remo- removing it would be a, the right thing to do. And from what I understand, like even the uh, the uh, Netflix trans employees who are uh, and allies who are walking out today or who walked out today, even w- one of their lists of asks and demands. And none of that was to remove the special. So even they don't want the special removed. And I think that's important. Like even the Netflix employees themselves don't want it removed. But I think that like uh, there was a lot of salience points uh, made by those two. Yeah. Take that, Lance. All right. Camaraderie. <laughs> uh, watch that view count start going down. Baby. <laughs> um, but yeah. So one, uh, Dave Chappelle is got, getting a lot of attention for talking shit about trans people and making controversial jokes. Do you think that maybe a few other comedians are going to look at that, see it and go, oh. Oh, that's how I make it big. All right. But what if I put, what if I talk about Dave Chappelle and why he got canceled and then made my own trans jokes and then put that in the title of my YouTube video and get me a nice little special up on Netflix? This is going to happen. More comedians are going to try to take that route of controversy equals views equals a big uh, deal with Netflix. And going forward, Netflix needs to be prepared for that. And I think a lot of the asks and demands that are being made by these, uh, the employees that are walking out are very uh, good and reasonable uh demands that will improve the situation going forward that isn't just censor 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 but in but uh you know there's a hold on i'll actually link the article i think uh i think lens you've probably linked it before but i want to go ahead and link it in chat uh well well i'll link it as soon as i here i want to put it in our chat and discord because i'm not signed in in your chat uh so that's kind of like the list there and then mostly it's just like hire more trans and non-binary uh uh creators showrunners people in positions of power who can like uh, have valuable input in uh, situations like this because I don't think that censoring it and taking it down I don't think that was like the number one demand of anybody at least to my knowledge that wasn't a major demand from any of the major voices in this conversation since the get-go but I do think that we are going to see a lot more comedians try to follow in that in those uh, footsteps that need to be accounted for so it doesn't just turn into a deluge of uh, hate speech that is defended on the grounds of like uh, free speech, but really the grounds that they're defending it on is like profit. Well, one of the really interesting things that Carr just brought up that I hadn't even thought of was the idea that like they already have like every episode of say South Park on most streaming platforms and stuff like that. And as someone who just recently had to like, I use, I love that stuff when I was a kid, right? But I just recently rewatched the Dolphin uh, episode because I was trying to find uh, just Ooh. a small a small Ooh. clip to use uh, for that whole uh, Charlie Kirk Dolphin meme. And watching through it, I was I was like blown away because i had no idea i did not remember how horrifyingly transphobic that entire episode is so what do you think in your opinions would be something more important to counter the fact that that is just such a pervasive part of culture right now right like is it is it uh putting more uh you know like uh hiring more black trans comedians to be uh having their own stand-up specials is it something that the zeitgeist itself has to move towards have we not pushed the overton window far enough do we look at that old stuff and say yikes but that's just a sign of the times we've come a long way now and yet this is exactly what we're talking about on this panel like what what is the best way forward to try and uh, combat that I don't like the idea of balancing transphobic content with more trans creators. Like it's a like it's a seesaw, and as long as they got the seesaw level, that makes things okay. But I do think that like having more Hannah Gatsby's, uh, having more I know Tig Notaro's uh, says, but more queer voices uh, telling jokes and uh, being up front and center, talking about their identities in a way that is more authentic to themselves, representing themselves, having a trans creator relate to a cis audience, uh, I think is going to go a long way towards. Uh, I don't know, making those voices more apparent, making them more prominent is not going to counter transphobic nonsense, but it is going to be a step towards like normalizing these voices and making it seem less scary, less 
less of a target that needs to be pushed down a peg and more normalizing the identities uh, going forward. So sort of like, you know, uh, what the uh, demands of the walkout were. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think like it is just, yeah, it's not the idea of just counterbalancing it. It's about just trying to give more trans non-binary black and then the intersections of, of all of that um, creators to, to have more of a chance to be able to get a platform. So it's not like when people are looking for a black trans uh, woman's space to be able to talk about this, uh, that they can't find it. And that then, so they talk about like white trans women and, and focus it just there. Um, I think also the other thing too, is just trying our best. It, it's always, it's always a hard, it's always a hard thing to do in the way our uh, entertainment and the way our culture is right now because everything just falls into a culture war and it has to be, okay, you're, you fully defend something and, oh, you don't fully defend something or you are fully against something or fully for something. It's like, no, I think we need to try our best to center these type like the conversations that we're having now, like talking about the nuance of it, nuance of it while not framing it as like, like all of us here are talking about the nuance of the special, what he got wrong, what he got right. Um, and we're not giving any credence to like the more awful parts of it, but we do talk about the right and wrongness of certain aspects of it. And so I think it's talking about the nuance while also not giving any credence to hate speech or hateful content like what TERFs uh, do, because I think ultimately what that feeds into that framing, like what like what Dave Chappelle is trying to do is framing the black community versus the LGBTQ community or like what TERFs try to do, which is frame trans people versus women as a whole. Like it's it's always this antagonistic conversations like, no, we can have a nuanced conversation that doesn't like frame the other side as awful. Like the debate is like, oh, there's, you know, trans people and, you know, people who are, you know, just against trans people. It's like it's no, there's nuanced conversations that doesn't necessarily platform um, that antagonistic type of relationship. And I think that's what we need to try our best to do. Um, but I know that that's difficult in a, in a world where everything just needs to fit into the culture war. So, yeah, you know, I think that we, we could have some noble goals if we, if we try, I I don't necessarily think it needs to be a focus of balancing. I think that comedy has some really powerful, um, potential, right? So, you know, black comedians existed in this country way back predating Jim Crow. And you would see these black comedians go on stage and perform, but as they rose in popularity and as they became more famous and were able to book higher and higher paying gigs, it turns out their um, audience got wider and wider. And there were people at the time for whom it literally became that black comedian on stage was the only black voice in their day-to-day life, in their media consumption. And we talked earlier on the previous topic about how real comedy is, how it is someone speaking intimately with the audience. It's like going to a stage play, but the entire thing is a fourth wall break. It's fucking amazing. It's all breaking the fourth wall. So now you got to see somebody speak their truth on stage from a marginalized group. And that right in and of itself can help if done right, can help humanize that performer. If they happen to be a marginalized group who experiences dehumanization. So more importantly, I think that it shouldn't be necessarily an effort to balance or anything like that. We don't, we don't need 
to go so far as I, I saw a hilarious suggestion in your chat. Someone said the closer should immediately transfer into playing disclosure on, <laughs> on Netflix. <laughs> I um I don't know if we need to go quite that far, but I they have the platform, they have the marketing revenue. It's literally their platform. They can shove whatever advertisement in your face that they want. So if they want to promote and platform trans and trans people of color comedians, I don't think what it's going to. It doesn't need to be about saying oh his transphobia bad and it doesn't need to be about hey respect my pronouns and it doesn't need to be about hey uh stop saying these no-no words it, i think it just needs to be some trans and people of color in the queer community um being funny and being honest in a positive manner and what will happen is some people are going to watch that and say, hey, that was hilarious. This person is funny first and then trans uh, second. That's going to occur secondary to them. So that then when they go and tune in to someone like Dave Chappelle or there, trust me, there are worse comedians than him out there. That's that's one of the main reasons I don't want to pull it because there's other comedians with far worse stand up sets than his. But when they see somebody like that or a big high dollar special like that, they're going to say, wait though, I just watched this comedian who happened to be trans and they're also funny. And you know, they're not humorless bastards. They can take a joke and they can make jokes. They can even make jokes about being trans and, and, and it can apply to whatever, uh, you know, there's disabled community comedians who make jokes about being disabled there's black comedians who make jokes about being black there's mexican comedians who make jokes about being mexican but i think that actually is a positive force towards normalizing a positive language around these subjects and not and not normalizing negative or hateful rhetoric around these subjects because it gives them something else to see it gives them a dis different standard to measure it against but i don't know that's my thought if that made any sense to anyone no no no, no it's it's i think that's perfectly because a lot of people are like the their exposure to trans people are just the misinformation that that people hear about them like trans people aren't funny that trans people jump down your throat if you get their pronouns wrong that like trans people are saying all these things and it's like no no it's like giving people exposure through things like i think just giving people exposure through the media that they most consume whether that be stand-up whether that be tv shows whether that be certain things and i think getting positive explanations and exposure to people when in whatever medium i think is the the right way to go about it so that they they realize that when most people when you misgender a trans person they're not going to scream at you most of the time will just be like okay i guess i'll just awkwardly hide over here <laughs> whenever you say that <laughs> so i think it's like um yeah so i think that that's a a good worthwhile goal I got, I got to say, this panel turned out to be uh, nuanced, informative, funny, educational, like all the things I wasn't looking for. I'm I'm deeply disappointed did, in all three of them. Did you here. expect blood sports? Uh, okay. <laughs> no, I'm just uh, joking. How about this? I'm this is exactly what I wanted. This is exactly those, what I wanted. <laughs> for those of you who like pineapple and pizza, you are little baby children. Grow up. Eat well, real food. There's, there you go. There, there's one pineapple pizza, and that's wine. Like outside of that, what people don't throw pineapple on regular pizzas, do they? They're not... Oh, uh, yes, they do. We do, and we call it Canadian bacon when we do it. Hey, I'll fight with your chat. I'll defend Hannah Gatsby. Those two specials were incredible. I'll fight oh, with yeah. all of you. 
Oh yeah, no, <laughs> you don't find them funny. You're just not as cultured as me. <laughs> there you go. What's the matter? Too challenging for you? What's the okay, matter? Wait. Too challenging for you? Okay, wait, wait, wait. Too wait. real can, here. I can. Didn't I, talk I, enough I, about airline food, you plebs. <laughs> I can end on a very, very difficult topic. Uh, I was asked this today: Is cereal soup? No. Fuck no. Who said that? I, 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 instinctively, I thought no, too. But then they were, like, making some pretty convincing arguments. It was like, well, it's it's a liquid in a bowl. There's cold soups. Like, uh, you know, there's Russian soups that are served cold. There was a lot of elements there that, you know, so- soups can have cream and milk in them. I would say it is. I'd say it is. It's, 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 like, it's a liquid base. You got, like, the liquid base. And then you have, uh, like, items in there. I think it is. It's is the more ocean than a liquid a soup? Base. It's got a bowl, it's got liquids, it's got stuff in it. It's more than a liquid, about, it's an idea. What about the primordial soup? <laughs> Aren't we all born from soup? Is that what we, brings us we all are. together? We are. We came yeah. from, from, that we came primordial, from soup? primordial soup. Look, I will say this, all right? A soup is more than just its constituent parts, okay? The liquid base is a broth or a stock. It's not just any liquid. Okay, I tried I pour, that, car. I tried if that. I pour, no, 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 but if, if you soak the cereal in the in the milk, it becomes a broth. It becomes a sugary, different yeah. tasting. No, it's completely comes up discounting superintellectuality. <laughs> but what you're saying it's is, if, what if I put what if I put what if I put cereal in water? Is that a soup then? I'm not saying it's good, but is that soup? No, that's just cereal. That's called oatmeal. That's oatmeal. Oatmeal is a cereal grain. Cereal and water is called oatmeal. It's a porridge. It's not a soup. We have a category for that. What if it's more of a milk? What if it's tomatoes and milk? What if it's like? What if we? What if you think is like soup is like an overriding concept that all of these sort of filter down? Like there's porridge, there's oatmeal. It's like it's just a it's an overriding term. What if I heated it, Car? If I heated cereal, like just your favorite cereal and milk cereal, then it's a hot porridge. So that's porridge. Porridge can be served hot. Or gruel, if you will. Okay, so you're at that point. You're closer to eating boiled corn grits. Do you believe this? Like eating a, an actual soup. Do you believe that there's like a Platonian ideal form of soup? Yeah, a broth or a stock okay. or a a homogenized base. N- almost no soup base. It needs a miracle. Consist of just a base level liquid like water or milk they all have some infusion <laughs> with them that is made but the cereal infuses with the milk it becomes a different no, tasting just, substance <laughs> it just breaks down into smaller parts and imparts some flavor to the milk what if you like when when, when 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 oh sorry so what if you microwave your cereal that's oatmeal that's like a bowl when, of fruit loops when when that's when does something when does it's something addition become, by addition, is what Car's saying. When does something become a soup, and when does it become a cereal? So if I took a like, if I took a base, if I took like a chicken stock base and put like cocoa Salsa puffs flakes. in it, yeah. yeah, and like threw it that's threw it in soup. that, is that that's a soup? A soup. That's, a that's a soup. That's a terrible soup. <laughs> that's a soup. Here's the thing: chicken stock is not just you don't just take chicken and throw it in hot water and it becomes a stock. No, the hot water creates a chemical reaction that breaks down the protein bonds that pulls enzymes and lipids from the flesh of the chicken Ooh, and incorporates it into the liquid. That's what gets you a stock or a uh, broth. What gets you a base to have a base in cooking requires you to reduce ingredients inside of something like cream or bechamel or another broth or vinegar or oil or what the fuck ever all right so but when you're just suspending grains 
in any kind of liquid, uh, just like milk, like a standard liquid, like milk or water, it's it's a porridge. Right? Chad is asking if you prepared for this cereal. You know what? I you, I, you I feel my topic. Here. I can <laughs> argue this. All right. You're the break bro. I think Carl won this one. I, yeah, I, I don't think I. Can. Oh yeah, Wait, no, no. Carl yeah. just smoked all of us, and I, I and I disagree with him fundamentally too. But he's right. <laughs> No, it's uh now hot dog is a sandwich. Someone in my chat asked that. Yes, hot dog is a sandwich. Is meat between bread? Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm on that. I'm on board with that. But I'd even say a taco is a Spanish sandwich or a Mexican sandwich. What about a calzone? Sports. Is that an Italian sandwich? Yeah, I was gonna say it was a calzone's a... more of an oversized dumpling. Mm. Isn't a dumpling just an undersized sandwich? No. <laughs> oh, and does someone become ravioli? That's the mm. interesting. <laughs> when, wait, when does a calzone become a ravioli? <laughs> well, ravi- ravioli is is a very ravioli is a very long shape. Is it just the shape? Is that the ravioli? I think ravioli does refer to a specific format of making the pouch or the sachet mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it. Um, it otherwise, you're baked. making you're just making tortellini or stuffed pasta at that point. Okay, See, well then, here's my question: If you take a bath, are you becoming a soup? Um, I would actually say yes to that because I certainly infuse enough of my essence into the bath water when I bathe. You, you, Do you will sell be, your broth? Can we you buy will your be broth? enjoying some eau de car if you have some of my bath water. It's you can wear it like a, a cologne. Hmm. You can uh, add it to your protein shakes for your pre workout. It's good stuff for you. Uh, I'll be selling it in my prepper buckets here. So I was going to say, is that going to be on your merch store? Like. Like you're going to sell it, but you're not going to sell it as bath water. You're going to sell it as soup. As car. Uh, <laughs> car you know, soup. I'm just going to call it essence of car and let them decide so what that means. People would think it's like, like homemade soup or something. I want to get in like a Campbell's to go can, like put in the microwave and walk, walk to work yes. with it. I'm yeah. going to jar it in one liter jars, a narco car bath water. There you go. <laughs> Uh, I could not imagine a better way to end this. That uh, <laughs> that's, that's absolutely fantastic. I can't I can't thank all of you enough. Honestly, uh, I beyond uh, having an amazing time, I actually learned a lot from every single one of you um, because you're all uh, so well educated in different topics and uh, fascinating to listen to, to, to say the very least. Um, so all, all I can say is thank you, every single one of you. Um, thank you, Lance. Yeah, can, thank you for can, having me and can, all of us. Can Can you all show yourselves like- out? This is one of the most legitimately like highbrow, informative uh, panels I've ever been a part of. Except so. for the last part. No, no, especially no, the last part. Oh, yeah, oh, especially the I last got part. to bust <laughs> out cooking knowledge on a <laughs> fucking Twitch panel while drinking whiskey. This this is very highbrow. <laughs> and then, Car, uh, I assume you're going to keep streaming. Can I raid into you after? I, I got to take off. Yeah, I'll stay on. Thank All you, right. buddy. Yeah. Uh, well, why don't we start with uh, Jangles, Jesse, and then Carr, and we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. Thank you all for suffering uh, through me during this panel. I appreciate it a lot. My name is Justin. I go by Jangles Science Light on them, their YouTubes. Uh, one of my latest videos is the history of stand-up comedy, and I have two other videos on humor theory and uh, political correctness in comedy where I go over a lot of the research that I've used on this panel. Uh, I am Jesse Gender. Uh, you can find me also on the YouTubes. 
uh, where I talk about fandoms and geekdoms and talk about political and social issues within pop culture and all that fun stuff. Uh, I have a video up about Dave Chappelle that just went up uh, about a week and a half ago. So if you want more of my thoughts on Dave Chappelle, that video is there. Uh, I also have a video coming out Friday that's about another fun topic. Yay. That's about bisexual Superman um, and the politics yeah. behind that conversation. Uh, so that'll be fun. Um, so, yeah, just head on over there for those discussions. And also me just nerding out about Star Trek way too often. So. Nice. Live long and prosper. Hell yeah. All right. So uh, I am Carr. Uh, I do uh, black anarchist commentary on social issues and whatever else occurs to my non medicated ADHD brain. I like to make music. So if you like electronic music, guns, dogs, and cigars, come see me at uh, all caps car on YouTube or car underscore Y Z on Twitch. I'll say Z cause I'm talking to a Canuck mm-hmm. and um, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate uh, being on the panel. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. We've got to do it again sometime. Oh, absolutely. This was an absolute blast. Thank you all so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Say hi to Car Stream. Go check out all these amazing creators. They're incredible. Do you enjoy the SERPs but prefer not to have to use your eyeballs? Many are saying this. Well, we've got the solution for you. It's the Surf Times in podcast form. Available on most major podcasting networks now. If you enjoy it, please consider leaving a good review and feedback because it really helps the show out, apparently, and it's free. Just like the podcast. To our gods, Xander Corvus and Peyton L. Just, we will build a ladder to heaven to deliver you the daily news. To our monarch, Tom Spiker, we are your most humble of clownish jesters. To our lords, Trevor R. and Alexander Thaler, you have our undying fealty. To our knights of the round table, Nate, that one guy, Hagbird Celine, Matthew Scarborough, Stellar Vision, Ariana McCarthy, Daniel Sutton, Ants are still running the world. Coulter Smith, Tom Grow, Val 9000, Jenna Tal, Quiet 185, Anna Loves Riley, Riley and Anna, Omni, Poodle Hawk, The Tim Caucus, Multimondi, Trevor Janice, Lemmy 101, Anthropophojack, Saren 42, Chronic to Hemp Hog, Catherine, Radical Maniac, Ramon Acosta, Incosin, Violent Orchard, Sophie Baby, Political Puppy, Andreas Cheringuito, Zach Christensen, Josh Mickelson, Todd Buckingham, and Todd Lajeunesse. We shall meet you in the tavern, and we raise a drink, and we salute you.